0: welcome to the semi-informed football podcast where we dive deep into the world of european football join your hosts mark and marco as we explore the latest matches controversies and stories from the beautiful game across the continent whether you're a diehard fan or just getting started we're here to bring you insightful analysis lively debates and a whole lot of passion for the sport we love get ready to experience european football like never before Hey, everybody. Welcome to another weekend recap on the Semi-Informed Football Podcast. So with you today is Marco, Mark, and Matteo. Hey, guys. Hey, Marco. How are you? Doing well. So we're going to go through uh, the main leagues in Europe, and we're going to jump right into the Premier League. Um, I think there's a lot of things happening there. Mark, you want to give us a start with Tottenham? Okay, so
1: Tottenham basically survived Palace. They remain top of the league. This was the Friday game, the only game on. I say survive Palace because this is a game that I thought Tottenham, being in first playing as well as they have been, should have really just, you know, walked over uh, a team like Palace. Palace, you know, sitting uh, mid-table, below mid-table, 13th spot. But Palace really took it to them. And, you know, an unfortunate own goal in the 53rd minute gave Tottenham a one nothing lead. But Palace kept pressing. The game finished with Tottenham having 10 shots, but only one on target, and that one was a goal by Sun heung Min in the 66th minute. That was their only shot on target, even though they had a lot of possession, 76% possession. But Crystal Palace had more shots, 13, and more shots on target with three than the limited amount of possession that they had. And, you know, they got a goal, by Jordan A.U. in the 94th minute. Bit of a consolation. Uh, but again, without that own goal, and with, with only one shot on target, this was definitely not Tottenham's
0: best game. And Big Ange, he's uh, off to a great start, huh?
1: Yeah, fun stat here. So Big Ange becomes the first manager to start with 26 points in his EPL debut. No other manager has started their career in the EPL and and done as good a job. Yeah, that's eight wins,
0: two draws. Like, that's 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 really really great. Yeah, hasn't lost a game yet in the Brem. So we're going from a top team to a team that Mark likes to beat up on, uh, Chelsea. Chelsea, tell tell us a little bit about Chelsea.
1: Okay, so this game was an interesting one because Brentford and Chelsea were both underperforming, but the game was at Stamford Bridge and Chelsea was coming off, what we could say their best performance of the year against an Arsenal team, at least that first half. But in the end, Brentford beat them down. They beat Chelsea 2-0, again, at Stamford Bridge. And the fun fact, you know, this game is that Brentford and their coach, Thomas Frank, have maintained a 100% winning rate at Stamford Bridge versus Chelsea. So this is the third year in a row. Two years ago, when Brentford was promoted, they beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge 4-1. Last year, they beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge 2-0, and they repeated that 2-0 win this
2: year. Actually, yeah, just to add to that stat, I saw a different stat, and it builds on this one. Um, since April of this year, 2023, Brentford have more wins at Stamford Bridge than Chelsea do. 2-1. to one. That is honestly quite appalling if you're a Chelsea fan. Um, but it's a piece of all how, how your team's gone down in terms of power and performance. If a team like Brentford, who got promoted two seasons ago, can come in and bully you in your own backyard, yeah, it's not the greatest.
1: And this game was without Ivan Toney.
2: Yeah, very true. Amazing. Okay, let's
0: go into Bournemouth and their first win of the season, Mark.
1: Yeah, so Burnmouth, they got their first win of the season, Um Versus Burnley, taking them out of the bottom three for now. Uh, Bournemouth isn't a team that I was expecting uh, to be near the bottom this early in the season. I thought the likes of Everton and Wolves would have been a bit more disastrous. But uh, they got the win. And I, I mean, it's against Burnley. But at the same time, they got the win. So they're
0: in seventeenth right now. Well, I'm talking about teams at the bottom. Uh, I think I think I, th- I think we all have pegged the kind of Sheffield United to likely play in that kind of relegation uh, zone right now. So they had a game against Arsenal.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt in my mind that Sheffield United will be relegated. I expect them to finish in twentieth spot. So playing against Arsenal um, at the Emirates, I expected Arsenal to win big. They didn't disappoint. They came out, they won five nothing. This is exactly what I expect a top team result to be when you're playing a last place team. That's what it should look like. You shouldn't be giving up any goals because all facets of your team should be firing on all cylinders. Again, William Saliba had a great game. It was nice to see Tomiasu get the the, uh, last goal there in the, I believe it was the 96th minute. Great position off the corner. Uh, also, the the penalty, the penalty that was given uh, to on Fabio Vieira. That was that was totally warranted. I still don't like the fact that when they go to VAR, it's to a frozen image for the ref. I wish they would start at the beginning of the video. But on this call, it was right on the line. Fabio Vieira's foot. Was right on the line of the box. And if you're on the line. You're considered within the box. And the studs came and clipped his Achilles. Uh, It wasn't near the ball. So it was a penalty shot. Now. Eddie Niketia Was sitting on a hat trick. And he had the ball in his hands. The whole time the VAR decision was being made. But in a classy, gentleman manner. And just like they supported Kai Havertz, Eddie Nketiah gave the ball to Fabio Vieira to take it, and he finished it off in fashion. And Mateo, do you want to talk about Eddie's hat-trick?
2: Yeah, sure, I'll talk about that, actually. First of all, how he was even in the team in the first place, I thought. This is a perfect game for Arsenal to give a rest to their players, considering they played midweek last week. Uh, in the Champions League. So it was a perfect time to rotate against a very weak Sheffield side. And they did just that. They started guys like Kinketia, um, like Kiwoar at centre-back. They gave some rest to players who needed it and experimented with new players in the field. And Ketia, once again, had a chance this season did not disappoint. Got the hat-trick within 58 minutes. Again, could have got the fourth with a penalty, but wasn't too greedy about it. Gave it to the guy who deserved it. He earned the foul. Got the penalty. Tolmiasu to off the bench. They also saved players like Odegaard. Gave him a rest. Tried different players like Elneny. Gave him some play time. Reese Nelson as well gave him some play time. But this is a perfect showing of what you should do when you're playing against a smaller team. Like Mark said. Uh, it was complete dominance. Eight shots on target to zero for Arsenal obviously. Uh, but that moves him up to second place in the Prem. Two points behind Tottenham, who are still undefeated. Both teams uh, in North London are still undefeated. Tottenham 8-2-0, Arsenal 7-3-0. Tied to the Man City on points. And it's a fantastic showing. Nketiah should be proud. Although I still question his ability to be consistent uh, for a starter, especially when there's guys like Trossard, like Jesus, fighting for that same spot.
1: Yeah, that's what I hear from Gunners fans. They're not sold on on Nketiah. I I think that... uh... Arteta really likes him. He
2: must do it,
1: yeah. Yeah, it it was in the documentary. Like He's just trying to really... I think Arteta really thinks he's really talented, and he just wants to rip that out of him. And if you get a chance, go look at that first goal he scores. Declan Rice crosses it in, and Nakeda's first touch, it's masterclass to control it and then just pop it into the corner.
2: Mm -hmm. With him, there's spurts of brilliance, but... Again, it's finding consistently. So yeah,
0: definitely, that's the main thing. I'll find, cool. And I'm just gonna fi- finish that off. Uh, David Ryan, net. So Mateo, uh, no, no conspiracy here. He's just kind of playing in for uh, like a, a weaker opponent.
2: Yeah. yeah, same with that. Yeah, I was mentioning they're giving players play time who would normally play. Although it's interesting again how this whole debate uh, in that is even happening. I think if I were Arteta, I would have played Ramsdale because he missed last game. They have more games coming up, Champions League, I think, next week. I would have given him some play time. This is an easy game. Get your confidence up with a clean sheet. But, um... But Arteta do have... They do have
1: a midweek game, the League Cup, on Wednesday. And I think that's where Ramsdale is going to get his opportunity.
2: Okay, I must have missed that. But in that case, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. It's early rounds in the Carabao Cup, probably against the lesser side. So, look will get his chance then. Off to another uh, a game... Um worried about this
0: team kind of fall from grace it looks like they were really kind of curtailing their spending but Wolves
1: yeah so Gary O'Neill wasn't given a fair shot um he saved Bournemouth last year and got the axe um moved over to Wolves and in spite of the club's financial woes Gary O'Neill has turned this team around he's done a fantastic job I think this really speaks to the coaching and the tactics giving the team confidence because he he really has nothing new to work with. They lost uh, Ruben Neves, right, in the transfer window, and really didn't get anything back. Didn't really sign anyone. And like I said, they, they are going through some financial woes. But all that aside, and then, like I said, they had started the year kind of rough. I thought without signing anyone in the transfer window, really, um, Anyone impactful? I thought Wolves was a team at risk of going down. But Neto has, has shone. And even though they lost him, what looks like a hamstring, he pulled up holding it. Uh, even though they lost him, there's another star in the making here at Wolves, and that's Huang Hee Chan, who scored in the 71st minute, uh, establishing himself as a, as an emerging star, perhaps. He's tied now for fifth in scoring. I know it's still early but he's got six goals. On the flip side of this game, Newcastle has been showing their inconsistency, which is baffling, and it's been going on all season. We see them play great games in Champions League and then collapse with a man advantage to Liverpool. We see them win one week, lose another, but they're definitely not where they were last season you know fighting for that Champions League spot as it stands right now they're in sixth on 17 points but they're already five points back of that Europa League spot and nine points out of first so yeah just inconsistent play no
2: I think you're right absolutely but to give uh, Newcastle some credit going away at Wolves it's never easy we saw Man City a few weeks ago They ended up losing that game. Mm -hmm. Um, But you got to feel going into this, you'd want to get all three points. And I agree, Newcastle have been extremely inconsistent this season, especially when we compare it to games against PSG, where you absolutely batter them. Yeah, your home ground, but still, you outclass them on the night Um, to times where you're dropping points to teams you shouldn't be dropping points to. I think a degree of hunger has left the squad because they feel more established in a sense. So the last minute run and that little bit more effort they would have put in last season to get where they got, I think it's missing this season. So assuming they're not winning Champions League, which I seriously doubt, I think they might finish in a Europa League spot this season. An early prediction, but it is one nonetheless. Awesome. Um, Now, going into Liverpool, now there was a lot of news
0: on the pitch and off the pitch. So Mark, start off with the on the pitch and then to speak to the off. All right, so this was a dominant Liverpool performance.
1: I know they were up against Nottingham Forest, not perhaps the strongest team in the league, but this looked like their best performance. Definitely it resembled the Liverpool of old that pushed Man City to the brink and beat them in the league and won the Champions League. That's the style of play uh, they had. And this new midfield is starting to, to gel. Gravenberg, I thought, played an outstanding game. The star of the game for me would definitely be Dominic Schoeperslai. This kid is a pure and true footballer. His vision and his passing is masterclass. If he missed the game, you got to watch his assists on both goals. Uh, On the first one that he assisted on, uh, Mo Salas brings him into the box. He does a hard run. Almost to the the touchline. And then he 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 has no option, really, other than to cross it in. He could shoot on net, but the, the angle's too tight. So there's two defenders. There's Matt Turner in net. And Shobo drills it. It's not a pass. He drills it across to a Darwin Nunez. And, yeah. but But, you know, to Darwin's credit. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't a, a pass. Like he he rifled it, and so you see in the slow mo, Darwin has such a quick reaction to make sure he gets his foot up high enough to tap it in. On the second, uh, on the second Don Sly assist, he's deep in his own end. It comes off a a Nottingham Forest uh, corner, so the ball comes outside the box. He looks up sees that Matt Turner is way outside his box, and he rifles a pass. And there is a last defender there as well, and there's Mo Salah. So as the three of them go for the ball, Turner, you know, unable to handle it, it bounces past him, and Salah doesn't
0: make a mistake on that empty net. Yeah, I know. Salah's never gonna miss on that one. The, the the timing of that, and like he's such a kind of mature and a seasoned player that you know that that was going in.
1: Yeah, but the opening goal was scored scored by uh, Diogo Jota, and this is a crazy fact. When Diogo Jota scores, Liverpool are thirty nine and zero. So he want Jota to score every game. Maybe that's why Klopp starts him. I don't know. Yeah. And after he scored, he paid a nice homage to Luis Diaz, uh, went to the touchline, got the Luis Diaz jersey, held it up to the crowd. Good response, as always, from the Anfield crowd. And the reason is, just yesterday, Luis Diaz's parents were kidnapped in Colombia. Uh, police were able to rescue
0: his mother, but they're still searching for his dad. Well, yeah, insanity, insanity. Like, you, you never think of that. You think... You know, the, 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 such real news is coming out of uh, out of like the sport of football. But again, I guess if you, everybody sees you're you're a rich athlete, then you know, kind of makes everybody a target, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Moving on, Everton surprised on the road. They're in London. They beat uh, West Ham. Everton had low possession this game, but they pulled out the goal. And next, the Brighton, Brighton tied Fulham though for them i th- i know it'll feel like a loss fulham also had low possession but Joao Palhinha scored in the
0: 65th minute to get the tie for fulham all right let's go right into the villa game what happened with this i know luton town they just kind of got promoted uh, this season but what happened in that game
1: so villa were convincing uh 3-1 win over lowly luton town but I think still, if you want to be a top team like Arsenal, you can't concede to these relegation-bound teams. Three nothing would have been more convincing to me. Four nothing would have been ideal. I really think some of these teams, with the quality they have and the way they've beaten or or played against top teams, I don't know why they they don't just beat these teams four or five nothing. I mean, credit to Luton Town for their defense.
2: It's a bit harsh, I think, because the goal Aston Villa conceded they had nothing really lute all game it came off a freak error defensively and yeah i agree it should be happening we've seen teams like arsenal especially not this year maybe a little last year towards the end um but teams on the rise make these errors and it does differentiate a team that's on the rise versus the team that is top of the table um but i'd give it some slack because aston villa are the team on the rise and they're not we're not click claiming them to be top four contenders. Really? I wouldn't consider them, no. I think they're a team who's uh, um, will finish in a European spot, whether it's Europa or Conference. But again, for them, it's excellent.
1: Yeah, but you don't think they're top four contenders? I mean, they're only four points out of first.
2: Currently, but I think over the length of the season, things will change. I don't think they have the quality to be top four. All right. And finally, to wrap up our Premier League review, the
0: Manchester Derby between City and United. What happened to that one, Mark?
1: For this one, for me, this game was predictable. Uh, We've been talking about Man United, Ten Hag, not having that unity, that cohesiveness. Uh, We've also talked about how City's in a well-oiled machine in spite of Kevin De Bruyne being out. And I found this game was a bit ho-hum, But at the same time, I like seeing City's uh, quality. The first goal came off what I think is actually a a little bit of a controversial penalty. There was a free kick outside the Man United box. And as the kick is taken and the players are running in, Rasmus Hoyland kind of holds on to Rodrigo. Rodrigo, being experienced, totally sells it. And the ref calls the PK after taking a look at far. Now, as the commentators were saying during the game, you see this kind of play every game where there's a little bit of contact and the player goes down. In slow-mo, it looks worse. In real time, you can see that uh, Rodrigo was really suffering. Selling it. So who steps up to take the PK? None other than the striking Viking, Ehrling Haaland. And doesn't make a mistake, puts in the back of the net. Uh, Great goal. And then, towards the end of the first half, City's coming down the left wing, and McTominay leaves his man. Haaland gets free. Haaland is literally open. On the far right of the box. And it comes straight to his head. And he gives a thumping header. But. Onana. Comes flying across. And two hands it out and away. It's an it was incredible me. save. Yeah. And there's nothing Alan could have done. I mean he could have done something differently. But it was. It was a thumping header. And Onana reacted so fast. But just after the break. Uh, Haaland scores his second goal on, on almost the exact same play. But this time, after he gives the thumping header, I noticed that Haaland was um, trying to look for the opposite side of the net this time. And he won because Onana sort of jumped past the ball. He was moving to his left and Holland put it to his right. So Inanna had already jumped past before the ball had gone to the other side. And it's uh 2-0 city. Uh, Hoyland had a chance. A uh, chance he should have finished. You know, he's still a young striker. Although Howland's a young striker too. But this is where Hoyland needs to really gain more experience. He was pretty much sent in alone. I think it was a bad back pass by Foden. It split the centre-backs. Hoyland runs onto it. Graham Souness was saying that, you know, perhaps Hoyland could have gone down too. He could have dragged his foot on the keeper and gone down. I don't know about that. I don't agree with that. But I do think that he could have changed his his trajectory with his run instead of letting the defenders get back and and cut off his angle a bit. And to wrap it up, Hallen had the the ball deep down the the right flank, yeah, and in an unselfish move, set crosses it past the Onana and straight onto the foot of Phil Foden, three nothing. Interesting to me that the the Man City fans I thought were louder, and the funniest chant um, by the Man City fans was "Mind the Gap." Mind the gap, referring to the big gap that's growing between Manchester United and Manchester City, which yeah. sits at, uh, I believe, nine points, right? Yeah, nine points difference between the two. And then there's always this talk, what color is Manchester?
0: Right now, Manchester is blue. One thing I want to kind of throw out to you guys there, because I'm kind of watching this game as well, But um, and I actually looked on social media after the fact, do you think, I think we talked about this on, on an earlier podcast too, is that at this point, this game, right now, does Ten Hag see the end of the season? Give me your give me your opinion and what you think should happen. So I'm going to throw that to you first, Mateo.
2: Okay, what I think will happen is, I think he'll stay into the season. I don't think he'll be that bad to the point that they'll get rid of him. And knowing this board, they're not too eager to fire anyone anyways. What I think should happen. Maybe give him some time. I think he should stay. Um, Perhaps he changes his game plan. He needs to wake up and see, okay, listen, some of the players here are not doing their job. Maybe his tactics got to change. But something's not adding up, which is why we're so far behind the teams. They're the elitists in Europe. So I think it would be a combination of him waking up, maybe side a player or two in January. um, And hopefully... Injury prevention towards these players and good streaks of form individually. Mark, you?
1: I think Ten Hag's been hiding behind the whole Glazers. Are they in? Are they out? Are they sailing? Are, aren't they? And the Glazers might flip the table and, you know, fire Ten Hag at some point. As it stands now, I project Man U to finish somewhere between 8th and 11th. And I think, you know... There's a, lots of teams that can turn things around. I, I even think Chelsea can turn things around and perhaps produce a better season than Man U. But um, do we give him time? I always like to say, and, and I know what Pep and, and Klopp say, Pep and Klopp say a manager needs time, let him do his job. And I think that there was evidence of that with Arteta. Okay, Arteta came in and the club agreed to give him time. And so Arteta was allowed to clean house. You're either part of his plan and you're going to listen to what he says or you're out. And the first one to go, which was a big, you know, controversy or revelation or what, was when Obama Yang was iced and maxed out, Right. Here we are with a a top goal scorer, you know, probably the star of the club. But Arteta was given that opportunity. So Arteta was able to build his team the way he wants, picking players that he wants to fit his system. That's when it works. It takes time. But Ten Hag, I mean, who has he brought in? Anthony? Like, Anthony fits his system how? How? Because he hasn't really done anything. So, I don't know. I think at some point, like I said, maybe more so for the Glazers to deflect
0: attention, he might get axed, right? Yeah. So I I think I mentioned this to you, maybe it was even off the podcast mark, is that I I think Ten Hag should have left IX to go to like a a mid-level Bundesliga side to kind of see if they put him in the top four. Like kind of like a Nagelsmann did with Hoffenheim, and then getting the promotion to or not promotion, getting getting the move to Red Bull. So I honestly think that's where he should have did. Like so, he he actually was the coach of the I think the Bayern youth team, so he was familiar with the league. So I just think he could have cut his teeth a little bit more there. However, the fact that he is in uh, in in Manchester now, I really do like it. The the, you're you're under so much fire in manchester like like it's like no other team there's no hiding from anything right so i do think they should have a long term outlook with this um but going on social media like i heard rumors that they were going to take him out and put lampard in as a caretaker for the rest of the season i'm like i don't think that's the right answer i think they got to give this guy 2 3 years and you're right just I don't know. Let's see what he could do with a few more signings. But like again, he hasn't been, I, I guess, good with the checkbook lately. Like you're right, giving Anthony a hundred million for what? Really? It was. It was. It was crazy. But what he needs also is a personality,
1: and we've talked about this before. Like the way he treated Ronaldo, um, the way he's treated Jaden Sancho, um, and and we could say, listen, oh, they need time. They need time. But look at Ange. And just walked in here. He's only been on the job for uh, ten games. Look at the job he's done. Yeah, it wins two ties. So it draws. You know, Tuchel and and uh, Antonio Conte, maybe even Poach and Ten Hag. I think they need to
0: to assess themselves and their personality. So I'm gonna. We're gonna leave the prem right now. We're gonna go into Serie A. No, I don't have much to say about the Serie A. There were three games I was really paying attention to, and one of my games of the week. So I thought this was a phenomenal game. So first of all, it's getting kind of tight up at the top of the. Well, uh, uh, was getting, getting kind of tight at the top of the board, right? Um, Inter looked like they were kind of pulling away from everybody, but it was still really, really close. But um, so Juventus had a game uh, against Hells Verona. This was on the Saturday. So um, watching this game, it was it was really frustrating to watch, especially if you're a Juventus fan. Because uh, Moiseykeen had a a goal called back just based on a, like a really 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 weak um, offside or, or offside uh, call. Um, I, I think we have to make a podcast on that. I'm like, what constitutes an offside? Like, again, I we know what's in the rules, but really, you know, having a hand or having a trailing foot, like, does does that really impact the play? Like, if you're running backwards with your foot lagging behind, but that line comes out and you see the foot behind. Does that impact the play enough that that it's offside? Like I think it's getting a little bit ridiculous, and I think they're going to change it up. But again, on on top of that, it is it, it is what it is. But with that with that said, Juventus had a late late goal, uh, so they ended up winning that one nothing. So another game that you know we were, a lot of people were looking at because everybody's like, oh man, we really want Roma to win, but Roma played Inter, and uh, again, you know, there's some ups and downs in the game, but Inter ended up taking the game uh, the 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 game one nothing right. So that. Uh, put them into first place, not by much, but uh, again, it, it it put them by a little bit into first place. Now, funny, sorry, funny story there too. The police had to intervene
1: and tell Inter fans not to uh, bring the whistles to the game because the Inter uh, ultras uh, had ordered fifty thousand whistles and they wanted to give it to every fan. So that's a kid whistle at uh, their trader Lukaku, <laughs> every time he touched the ball. So, yeah, right now they're calling for, you know, I don't know, discrimination or something. They're saying, what a shambles. How is this illegal to bring a whistle?
0: You know what? And uh, Lukaku's having a season, right? You know, like, uh, again, come back. The prodigal son comes back. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, on, on Rome, he's doing well. Now, my game of the week, which I thought was just like a all-out brawl, was Napoli-Milan. Now, this one was a really, really interesting game to watch because, uh, again, this was going to determine sort of, uh, you know, the third, fourth p- position as well. That's really going to factor well into this. So um, Milan actually got up to uh, two, a two-goal lead. Now, um, I'm going to kind of uh, eat crow on this a little bit because... Uh, just in a week podcast on on Champions League. Uh, Uh I I, I was trashing Oliver Giroud. I said, this guy's too slow to be... Too too slow, too old, you said. (laughs) But, hey, you know what? He got a brace. He got the first two goals. Um, Right right person at the right time, right place at the right time. And you know what? Um, Yeah, I'm going to eat a little bit of humble pie on that one. So, (laughs) really interesting. However... That's not exactly how the way uh, the game was going to play out. So Napoli ended up kind of kicking and screaming, get, getting back in. And Matteo Politano, after taking a, um, a t- t- taking a little bit of a cross in the box, he whiffed on it, right? Like, again, he missed the sitter, right? It was, it, it, it was just sad. I'm like, oh, how do you miss something like that? However, and this I'm going to kind of earmark this because I'm going to come back to this. Uh, later on in the 50th minute, he actually took the ball from the touchline on on the on the right side, and he uh, dribbled around people. He popped it over people's head, and he put it in the in the top corner. Like I honestly think this was one of the nicest goals I've seen all year. So Politano had an amazing, amazing goal right there. And then to tie, tie it up, Raspadori, Raspadori tied it up at two two. He's playing well. Yeah, no, 100%. And not only for uh, Napoli but also for the national team, right? Like I I think he needs to factor in a lot more into the national team and not um I don't know, like it, you know, with the, with with a change, change to the coach with Spalletti and everything like that, I, I really think that um, you know, kind of they got to focus on these younger players and everything like that. but I really do like Raspadori there too. So the the game ended up being really really crazy down the line. Uh, there was a red card that Napoli got at the 89th minute. Farpskelia actually almost put them ahead, 3-2. But again, that wasn't meant to be. Uh, the game ended 2-2, which is probably fair because it made the 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 race a lot a lot more interesting. So this is how the Serie A is um, winding down. The top four spots: Inter with 25 points, Juventus with 23 points, Milan with 22, and Napoli with 18. Now, honestly. I'm going to say this right now because I think and Fiorentina Fu- Fu- with 17 with a game in hand. Yes. So why I mention the f- top four? Is that's that's the that's how I think the 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 setting is going to end up this year. So I think it's going to be Inter on top, Juventus in second, Milan in third, and Napoli in fourth. The only thing that I could say is maybe not Napoli and Milan kind of sw- swap spots a little bit like that. That's really how I see play it out. Fiorentina, I just think. Yeah, they do have a game in hand. Uh, the they're they're down at 17 points, to just one point behind Napoli. I think they're going to kind of run out of a little bit of steam, and I think they're going to start losing, you know, losing points to some lesser teams, which is always the case with Napoli. I mean, with 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 Fiorentina. But uh, those are my predictions. And yeah, final point on
1: Giroud, um, this 37 year old slow, slow player you talk about <laughs> is currently second in scoring with six goals. But I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Domenico Berardi, playing for Sassuolo.
0: Do you think that he's going to seek a transfer to a bigger club? That was a long time coming. Like, I thought that, I I honestly thought that uh, he'd be on a bigger team right, uh, a bigger club right now, um, whether it was in Serie A or not. Um, I think it's inevitable. Um, right now, they're, I don't know, you know, they are not too far out of re- regulation. I know it's really really early in the season and everything like that, but uh getting to the point where how um how, you know, when's the time when when's the time for him? Like again, it seems like he's been around for a little bit and he's been, you know, a solid solid player for another bit. But yeah, you know, I do think bare minimum he moves to like one of the the the, the higher teams in the Serie Yeah, I mean, I think him on an Atlanta Or even on the Fiorentina, changes those teams. Cool. so that's wrapped up the Serie A. So I'm going to give it another little bit. I'm going to look at two games uh, specifically in Bundesliga. I always say I hate looking at the two teams of Bayern and Dortmund. But you know what? They have some in... Okay, let's jump into the Bundesliga right now. Um, Again, I don't like spending time on the top two teams of Dortmund and Bayern. Or the top two most popular teams of Dortmund and Bayern. But I'm going to actually take a look at their games uh, this week. Um, one thing that I'm pretty happy with is that Leverkusen is still in first place, uh, which is awesome. It's an awesome story for this club. Um, yeah, <laughs> go Leverkusen. But uh, two really, really interesting games. The first one was Bayern. So Bayern was playing um, uh, newly promoted Darmstadt, and they actually took it to them. Uh, they won the game 8-0. Um, Harry Kane putting in a hat-trick, Leroy Sané putting in a brace, Jamal Musiala putting in a brace, and even Thomas Muller kind of uh, piping in with one goal. So, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like they, they really beat up on their uh, the opponents. But if anything, less for the Bundesliga, but more for their Champions League run, saying that you know what, like they do have that firepower. Um, again, like uh, again, I was, I was talking to Mark on the on the Champions League roundup. It's like I don't know if they have the mid i don't know if they have the i guess the transition from defense to to, to mid to really really compete in the champions League. but I, I do think they're using games like this to really kind of uh bring everybody together so uh, honestly this was a uh, offensive uh, of offensive drubbing but uh pretty interesting now in the other game that i was going to talk about um two two teams that um you know what i, I I I thought it was going to be a tough match, but I, it was. Um, so Dortmund ended up playing on track Frankfurt, right? And I thought it was going to be a, a little bit uh, tricky, and it turned out to be that. So Frankfurt get k- jumped into a two uh, to a two nothing lead, and Dortmund came back and fought them 2 two. And for the final minutes of the game, they were they were just kind of blasting each other. So. Eintracht were coming up three two, so they were up three two, and then uh, Julian Brunt uh, putting the dagger in the heart of Eintracht fans by uh, by 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 scoring by scoring the last goal, so they actually tied that they they tied that uh, that game, which was very very interesting. So the way that the Bundesliga the top four play out is that Leverkusen's in front, uh, just two points ahead of Bayern, uh, Stuckert right behind them, and tied with Dortmund. Now, uh, Dortmund and Stuttgart tied for third and fourth place. Now Dortmund really could have used that win, uh, to be tied with Bayern right now. But again, it wasn't like that. And I think that's how things are going to be playing out for the rest of the, for the rest of the season. Um, this is a league where I do think the fifth uh, place team is really going to kind of, uh, shake some heads. Uh, RB Leipzig only a a point back in fifth place. So, you know what, uh, there's some interesting stories there. Let's see how this plays out. I know we we'll keep on saying it's so early in the season, but I really like seeing kind of that galette at the front, and it's not just Bayern running away with it.
1: Yeah, and in the Stuttgart game, um, they were missing Serhu Garasi. He has a hamstring injury. His return date is actually unknown. So Hoffenheim, the sixth-place team, really took advantage. They won 3-2.
0: Yeah, and honestly, I think we're going to put a segment of this podcast where we're going to call it Mark Servo-Garasi Update. Yeah. <laughs> Mark is in love with this player. But anyway, honestly, he's having amazing years. So 100%, he deserves that.
1: And for, for our pool, um, Matteo had the first overall pick. He picked Harry Kane instead of Holland, And at the time, we said it was it was actually a smart pick. Uh, it's games like this. Is Harry Kane the best striker in the world? I would still pick Holland.
2: That's fair, I'd say, yeah.
1: Yeah, this was a game against Darmstadt. Don't forget, uh, Darmstadt also had two reds. Bayern had a red.
0: And there was six reds altogether in the Bundesliga this weekend. Yeah, we we could make a podcast just fighting on the strikers too, right? But yeah. again, Holland gets a little bit of service in Man City, you know? They have a few good players out there. Oh, so, yeah. But also playing against Topper, you know, top. Yeah, you know, exactly. I, yeah. 100%. Like, again, like, does one have to be better than the other? It's like two or both are phenomenal. A little bit different points in their career, uh, playing different, I, gu- I guess matchups and competitions. Yeah, but again, yeah. it's a joy watching both of them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we're gonna leave the Bundesliga there, and we're gonna jump into the La Liga, and that has something to say about El Clásico.
2: Okay. Yeah. This is gonna be fun. Okay. Uh, as we know, I'm a uh, Barça fan. Okay. So, going into a classical, I wasn't too confident about the result of the game because Barca were missing around 6-7 starters. So, going into this game, I felt we were second favorites. And uh, the odds reflected that. We were barely uh, a little bit second favorites compared to Real. But the game itself turned out completely differently than most people would have thought. In the first half, Barca grabbed a, a quick goal in 6 minutes. Uh, Ilkay Gundogan, courtesy of Trueman's Many's back pass, and Alaba's failed clearance to make it 1-0. And Gundogan, once again, showing in a major, major derby, he could turn up in the big games. Did it in the Classic Air, he did it in the Manchester Derby, and uh-huh. now Gasico. So he scored every single one of those. Thought it was a cool stat. Um, but going forward, the remainder of the first half, Barca were dominant. Fermín Lopez, another exciting youngster, hitting the post in the first 20 minutes. Uh, Gabi putting out a masterclass. Chances galore. Uh, post-hit from Inigo Martinez. Uh, a great save. Kept up. Chances were falling. Towards us, we couldn't capitalize, though. And as you know, in football, if you can't put away your chances, especially against a top-tier team like Real, you're going to suffer for it. And uh, this suffering came in the form of a screamer from Jude Bellingham in the 70th minute. Top shelf, pass to Could he have saved it? Done better, maybe? Perhaps. But it was a bullet. I don't blame him for not saving it. Yeah, Mateo, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in there because
0: um I I saw that go, you're right. It was a screamer in the top shelf. And I don't know if anybody's seen um in movies, like um I've been thinking of the movie Desperado from the 90s, but when people walk away from like an explosion in slow motion, I felt like after that kick, he just kind of looked away in slow motion, kind of walked away because he knew it was going in, right? Yeah. And honestly, I am a huge Ter Stegen fan, but I'm like, I don't think he was saving that. Like, yeah, I don't, yeah, Ripper. it was
2: a rip. I don't think anyone was saving that one. That was, yeah. I'm only speculating because he has this trademark where he goes with one hand all the time. And it makes me nervous when I see him try to save with yeah. one hand and parry out the way because I feel like he'd do better with two. But yeah, it was a bullet. I don't expect him to save it. Just uh, just speculating. But yeah, after that, um, just to add to that, actually, Real have about three long-distance strikers of the ball. many, Fede Valverde. Uh, Jude Bellingham, all of them um seem to turn up in the big moments where they need a shot, they can't penetrate with no striker. They shoot from long distance, and with those three players who can hit one from 30 yards out, it seems pretty likely it'll come from one of them. What, uh, strikers? With no strikers, no. Oh, with no strikers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, going forward, 1 1, 70th minutes, uh, the tides have completely turned. Real, the better side there, they're pressuring us. Um. Still, nothing's happening. One-one. Ninety-second minute. Uh, a deflected cross comes in. Uh, it hits an unsuspecting Modric, and uh, very, very, very fortunately it lands right to the feet of Jude Bellingham. Top of the six-yard box. He taps it away. Uh, game ends two-one Real. So, yeah. I mean, again, if you're a Barça fan, I think you would have taken a tie. I think after seeing the first half, it completely just gutted mm. the result of the game because we were, I'm trying to sign, uh, trying to sound unbiased here, superior in the first half and throughout the majority of the game. But putting away your chances is a part of the game, and you have to do it. With no Lewandowski on the field for the whole game, it showed we really missed him. Um, guys like Ferran Torres can't quite do the job. No, he came in. Yeah, he came in 60th minute, but we could have used him earlier on to finish the chance we had earlier.
0: Yeah. And one thing I gotta say about that game, um, then I was reading this story afterward, is like again, Gundogan, like I even tested this midweek that such a great leader on that club and you know, been there, done that. Like you you said that stop about the Derbies, right? But um mm-hmm. he he came out in the media and he said that, you know, like everybody's kinda down after the the loss um in the dressing room, but he said he goes people weren't angry enough. Like he said there, he goes, you know what? Like you have to be worked up that this was such a big game. This could have put us so much further into, into the race for the title, but he just felt that people weren't, his, 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 his teammates just weren't uh, ripped up enough about it. Right. So that shows, that shows what type of a leader is. It's like, you know what? He goes, like, he wants to leave it all on the field. Right. And I, I was pretty interested with that. Like, he didn't call out anybody specifically, but you know, it was just uh, maybe it was a it was a message to the whole team. It's like, listen, I go, we have you know, we're not here just for a paycheck. We're here to really kind of uh, push the agenda forward. And it's back to you know, uh, Barça football. Uh, another thing with that is that, uh, and again, this is uh, this was a huge loss too. But uh, uh, how are you pronouncing it? Schumany, Aurelian Uh He's actually out. He was injured in this game. So, um, again, you know, a little bit of a little bit a bit of a uh, beating for them because he su- su- such a great player for for Real Madrid. But I know buy Mateo's
1: thing that oh, we're missing so
2: many players
0: when he's been
1: on this podcast saying that Madrid doesn't have a bona fide striker.
2: No, but that's different. Okay, they did that, especially Ancelotti. Out of they tried to go for Mbappe, and they're bitten for it. And because of that, they had to get Yosalu as a last-term resort. So, with players like Vinny and like Rodrigo, like a Bellingham playing the false nine, you have more than enough options to do that. Barca, we're not in a situation where we can afford all these backups, all these numbers and reinforcements. So when our main guys are gone, six, seven of them especially, and we have to use Mark Yu off the bench, it's a different story than Real. Oh, he was a hero the other game? He was always oh, I was calling for him. I honestly I would have preferred him over a Lewandowski off the bench or Leminima because he's faster, he's stronger, and I think he's more hungry than a Lewandowski, which I'm in Barca Colors, haven't been a bit admirer of, but he is world class and can't deny it.
1: But just so you know, Madrid doesn't lead the lead in
2: goals for. I know they don't. They they are eking out wins too. I know they are, which is why I'm saying I don't think they're going to the league. They're not going to be top, uh, top two, I don't think.
1: But then by that logic, Barcelona's not going to come close either.
2: Well, no, I think we are because our guys aren't going to be missing forever. We have three of our main forwards gone, uh, along with our midfielders. A holding one in De Jong and a creative one in Pedri, who create most of our chances. When they're playing at full fitness, you've seen 5 nil results back-to-back in the Champions League La Liga. So I think it's a different system than Real.
1: Well. Start with your four points behind Girona.
2: Take it okay. From there. okay, yeah. Speaking of Girona, actually, yeah, they're doing excellently in the league. Um, They continued their excellent run of form yeah. up to second place, tied with Real on points, only behind a goal differential. Um, But, again, they beat Celta one nil. Not a great Celta team, but they keep getting the job done. So, fair play to them. I hope they can keep it up. I want to see a different team uh, competing for the title. So, hats off to them speaking of another major giant uh, in in La Liga Atletico played today they played Alavis at home ended up winning 2-1 pretty routine win but I thought one intriguing point about this game was that they're up 2-0 Atletico uh, making it 3 Llorente makes has a great solo run down the line one of the Alavis players actually tries rugby tackling him to stop the play taking his yellow puts it across um, Llorente actually manages to get past the guy who tries tackling him Puts it across to Griezmann. He taps it in, 3-0. But VAR calls this back because as the guy on Alaves was trying to pull Llorente down cynically, um, they determined that Llorente supposedly intentionally caught the Alaves player with an elbow to the head and ruled out the goal. So They gave a free kick for someone trying to rugby tackle a player going forward, which is absolutely appalling, and gave Alaves a chance in the game, making it 2-1, but Atletico held on uh, to see the win out. And out of the last major teams uh, in uh, in La Liga, Sevilla played and they tied caddies 2-2 away from home, which is never easy. But um, this is three draws in a row now for the Sevilla team. Lost in the Champions League as well. Um, and yeah, one win from the last five. So is it reason to be concerned? From my opinion, it absolutely is. Because they are more inconsistent than Newcastle and the Prem, which is a great example of it. But going forward, there's no bona fide striker, and SV, he's inconsistent. Defensively, they're shaky, which is surprising considering Ramos is there. And overall, they seem a bit flat, so somebody needs to change in really quick for Sevilla.
1: Yeah. No, I agree.
0: Yeah, and if you're looking at the top of the the standings for this, you had I guess, newcomers to it, Hirona, and uh, even Real Sociedad just playing really, really well, right? So it's not like they they have to, they they have points that they can kind of uh play around with. They like they they need to get points and they need it now.
2: Oh yeah, and it's it's so weird with Sevilla too, because they're in the Champions League this season. Last season they finished pretty low in the league as well. But they won year old League, got promoted. And it'll be funny to see the same thing happen this year. Because they're currently sat thirteenth in the Liga uh, with a record of two, four and four. Um, but as I think there's one of you predicted. They'll drop down to the Europa League from their group, and potentially doing it again. So we'll see what happens with that.
0: Okay, we're going to leave La Liga, and we're going to go to a story in Liga. Now, it was a story off the pitch, and a pretty horrible story. Mark, take it away. So Lyon was scheduled to play Marseille
1: uh, in Marseille, and as the team bus was approaching the stadium, they were attacked by Marseille fans who were throwing... Not just small stones, but large chunks uh, of stone. And it seriously injured Coach Fabio Grosso, who had to be hospitalized. And you'll see the pictures on the net. He's got a bloody face. Um, clearly, it went through the glass. Uh, a couple of them, of the rocks, would have hit him in the face to cause all that damage. The game was canceled, but it's again, I feel like we say this weekly on the podcast. It's another horrible thing happening in Ligue 1. Get another horrible storyline, another uh, storyline of, of violence. Uh, we've said it before. We don't know what's wrong, what's going on there in France with all this violence. Yeah, and maybe that's where we'll we'll leave off there. Yeah, stunning, stunning news. Ajax, uh, longtime stalwarts at the top of the table. Um, they've dropped to a historic low. They are currently last place in the Eredivisie. Unheard of. That would be like seeing one of the top English clubs, Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool, in 20th spot. So that's what's happening. They did have some fan violence of their own the other day when their own fans were uh, destroying their home stadium. Because of what's happening. All right, I think we're going to end it there for our weekend roundup. Uh, just to let you know, we have a new account on the social media platform X, formerly known as Twitter. And our handle is at, semi footy, at SemiFooty, at S E M I F O O T Y, SemiFooty. So follow us there. You know, like, subscribe, follow, send us your questions perhaps feel free to ask uh questions for us and i think we're going to wrap it up for the night so this is mark marco and we're keeping you (laughs) semi-informed